information. Useless information. Have you ever been reading the Bible and come across something and thought, well, that, that doesn't really help me? Seems like useless information. I want to talk about some useless information, but uh, in this message today, my hope is that it will build your faith. Because God doesn't do anything without reason or thought or serious plans behind his word. His word is uh, it's, it's perfect. It really is. Um, so I want to preach today under this title, Useless Information. And we're going to start by reading Psalm 88. I don't know how familiar you are with Psalm 88. It's not usually one people go to to get encouragement. Um, but we're going to read the entirety of Psalm 88, and uh, we'll go through it together. It's a little bit lengthy, but we'll get through it. And so I want to invite you to stand with me whenever we read Psalm 88. And uh, this is a song. It is a song. And it's a psalm of the sons of Korah. Now, most of, most of the psalms are written by David, uh, but... The, uh, the sons of Korah wrote a few. There's a few others that wrote. Uh, but it says, To the chief musician set to Mahalath Linaeth. Now, that's an instrument, just so you know and understand. That's an instrument. And so they're saying kind of like this is in the key of such and such. He's saying what instrument this was set to be played on. And then it says, A contemplation of Heman the Ezraite. Now, this person was an actual person who lived, um, but we're going to read this song here. Verse 1 says, O Lord, God of my salvation, I have cried out day and night before you. Let my, let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, my life draws near to the grave. It sounds really bad. I am counted with those who go down to the pit, like a man who has no strength, adrift among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and who are cut off from your hand. You have laid me in the lowest pit. Now notice that it's kind of turning his attention to the Lord. You have laid me in the lowest pit. In darkness, in the depths, your wrath lies heavy upon me. You've afflicted me with all your waves, Selah. And the word Selah just is a pause. It means pause and think about this. Selah, you have put away my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an abomination to them. I am shut up and I cannot get out. Man, this is going really bad. I don't know if you're getting the intensity of how bad this is for, for the author. My eyes waste away because of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon you. I have stretched out my hands to you. Will you work wonders for the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise you? Selah. Notice he says, are you, are you going to do a work for a dead person? Are you going to let me die? It's pretty negative. Verse 11, shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave or your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Shall your wonders be known in the dark and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But to you I've cried out, O Lord, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. 
Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I have been afflicted and ready to die from my youth. I suffer your terrors. I am distraught. Your fierce wrath has gone over me. Your terrors have cut me off. They came all around me all day long like water. They engulfed me altogether. Loved one and friend you have put far from me, and my acquaintances in darkness. Notice how negative, how depressing, how bitter, bitter of soul. I'm not talking about bitterness like you're bitter towards someone, just, just kind of the you can get a sense and a feeling of pain and suffering and bitterness behind what the person is writing. And, and you read this. I mean, most Psalms you read, you read through, and at some point it kind of hinges and turns. David says, you've forgotten about me. And then he says, but the Lord's going to rise up in a mighty way and There's always some point of turning, but Psalm 88 is unique in that there is no turning. It just continues to get more and more depressing in a sense, very negative. Let's pray together, and I'm going to let you be seated. Lord, I pray, God, that you would use this word today to someone, increase their faith, Lord, encourage them. God, even though we're starting out at a very unencouraging place in Scripture, God, I pray that you would speak to someone's heart today and lift them up in the name of Jesus Christ. We give you glory and honor. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, are you like me and you kind of wonder or have wondered uh, why the Lord would include this particular psalm in His Word? I mean, there's no, there's no encouragement really can be found in it anywhere. There's nothing positive to be said. Uh, probably, potentially, this may be the first time you've ever even heard anyone speak a sermon or a message out of this scripture. Definitely, these scriptures are not uh, ones that you're going to see shared on social media. No one's taking a picture and saying uh, of themselves, you know, I, I feel like, your fierce wrath has gone over me and your terrors have cut me off. Nobody's sharing that to try and encourage the world. But God doesn't just make mistakes in his word. He doesn't just pull out something without something being behind it and having an intent and having value to it. So there is value for us even in this psalm that seems so depressing. And I'm sure that you would agree with me that every one of us at some point in life, it may not be today, it may not have been over the last month, uh, but at some point we've all experienced and can relate to almost what is being written by this person as they write this psalm. The feeling that maybe I've been abandoned by God in the midst of my trouble. Or maybe it's waking up to just feel like that panic attack and that anxiety and overwhelm of troubles and problems that are overcoming you in that day and in that moment. Or feeling like, well, I'm just ready to surrender to death today. I feel like I could just die and give up. Or maybe it's in the sense of 
asking God if He's the one that's brought this to your doorstep. Are you being judged for something? Did did God, God, are you bringing your wrath upon me and my household and my home? Or maybe it's even the feeling that he closed out with that all of the friends and loved ones have disappeared. They, it's gotten so bad they've left the scene. They don't want to come around anymore. And praying and crying out to the Lord that he would hear and deliver you. Anyone ever relate to that at some point in life? I've prayed those prayers before. I've just thought, Lord, this is too heavy for me to carry, and I am done. I'm ready to surrender it over to you, and I'm ready to die. And what I notice in this psalm is it really stands out to me. There are three times that the writer says, I've cried out to the Lord in some form or fashion. He says, I cried out and It never says that the Lord has replied. It never says that the Lord heard. It just says, I cried out. In verse 9, he says, I call daily upon you. Daily. No response. Verse 13 leaves us with the impression of someone who is praying one of those late night prayers of pleading and crying out to God that we've all, some point in our life, we've prayed before. He says, to you I have cried out, O Lord, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. I've prayed all night, even to the morning. No answer. No answer. He opens up with verse 1, saying, I cry out day and night. I cried to the Lord. The majority of scholars believe that the song was written based on one man's life, him and the the man mentioned in the very beginning. A lifetime that was filled with affliction and sickness. One scholar believes that he was probably a leprous man that was wasting away by the disease that was attacking his body. So there's very little positive that you can draw from Psalm 88. There's not much in there, but what stands out to me and may have dawned on you as we read is that even though the writer cries out to the Lord and there seems to be no response, his prayers for deliverance or even for an answer that go unheeded to the Lord, and three times he makes those prayers. Three times without response, he moves on to how bad life is, and it just seems to progress worse and worse. And so when I read this, it doesn't sit well with me, just like it doesn't sit well with you. Because you, like I, we want our answers, and we want our problems to be fixed, and we want God to step in and do the miraculous, the things that we always talk about Him doing, that He opens up blind eyes and opens up deaf ears and heals lame bodies, and and He does all of these miraculous things to remove afflictions from us, and I believe we should celebrate that. Our God is a healing God. He is a prayer answering God. He's a miracle working God, and I celebrate 
like that. But it sits uneasy with us whenever we realize that sometimes suffering is just part of life. Like you, I, I don't want my problem to stay. I want it fixed. I don't want to suffer through life. I don't want to be in the middle of the struggle. I don't want to be posting through a series of tweets that the struggle is real. I don't want to be doing that. I want to get over those things. I want the easy walk in life as we all do. I want to ask God, God, how do I fix this? And I want to have God swoop in with the answer and say, here, just do this and it'll be okay. Even if I struggle with his answer. But seriously, have you ever felt like the author of Psalm 88? I feel like I'm going to die. My troubles are overwhelming me. I'm caught off guard. I'm, uh, it's going to be too late. God, I'm going to die before you do something. What good is that going to do? Why aren't you answering me, Lord? I'm crying, deliver me. You know what this psalm reminds me of? It reminds me of Job. But in the story of Job, we have the benefit of reading the entirety of life and seeing what happens for Job in the end of life. But Job, he loses everything. He loses his livelihood. He loses his family. He loses children that are taken from him. He loses. He loses his wealth and he loses his own health. When there's nothing else to be taken away from him, he loses his health. I mean, think about how many times we say, well, at least I've got my health. Anybody ever heard that said or said it? At least I got my health. He loses everything down to his own health. He is afflicted and he's sitting on an ash heap scratching the boils on his skin when three friends come to see him. Job's life has been rocked. He has been thrown into despair. He is in a very hopeless, dark place. There is very little positive to be gained from Job's experience. Job is sitting there in suffering and Job is trying to just survive and make it through. And each one of his friends bring different things to him. But I find it interesting in his response to Eliphaz in chapter 23. You really get the sense of Job and how abandoned he really feels. Because in his response to Eliphaz, he says, Even today my complaint is bitter. Verse 2, even today my complaint is bitter. My hand is listless because of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. He said, if I could just find the Lord. He says that I might come to his seat. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. He says, I've got a case ready. I'm ready to plead that case. I would stand before the Lord. If I could find where he was at, I would stand before the Lord and plead my case. Verse 5, I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. He, would he contend with me in his great power? 
No, but he would take note of me. There the upright could reason with him and I would be delivered forever from my judge. He says, if I just knew where to find the Lord, if I knew how to get in touch with him, I'd plead my case. I'd present my case. And he says, I, I think that I know what he would do. I don't think he would reject me. I, I think that he would hear what I had to say and he would respond to me. And he wouldn't judge me harshly, but I think what he would do instead is that he would deliver me from this judge. He would deliver me from what is going on in my life. <coughs> Did you notice what Job said? He said, if I knew where to find him, I don't know where to find him. I don't know where he's at. I've checked heaven. doesn't seem like he's there right now. I've done all the things I normally do, and it doesn't seem like I can get a response. He says, I looked for him, but I can't find him. I've prayed, and he's not answered. I've called out to him, but he's not heeding my call at this moment. Even in verse 8 and 9, he says, look, I go forward, but he's not there. And backward, I cannot perceive him. He's not behind me. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. And when he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. He says, I don't know where God is at in my situation. I don't know where he's at in my suffering. I don't know where he's at right now while I'm in this pain. I've looked in front of me to see if he's there and I can't find him. I look behind me to see if he was back there doing a work behind me, but I can't perceive that he's there. I look over here and he may be working and building something, but I, I just can't see it right now. And I look over here to the right and it just seems like I can't find God anywhere that I look. He's not responding. He's not open to my prayer. He's not doing anything on my behalf right now. I'm just suffering. I don't know where he's at. Can you feel the emptiness and the lost hope for Job? One of the most important things in our life is having some hope. Hope that it's going to improve. Hope that it's going to change. Hope that something will happen. And Job right here finds himself in a very dark, hopeless place. And he's looking around he's saying, I don't know where to find God. I don't know what to do. It's like Job is saying, I'm ready to surrender to the hopelessness. I'm ready to give up. I'm ready to just throw in the towel. It's like some, some that he's just so in a dark place, he doesn't know where to turn. He's looked all around, but he, he doesn't know where to go. But right before he surrenders to this hopelessness and he gives up on everything and he says, I'm just going to quit and maybe even do what his wife later suggests and just curse the Lord. Right before he's at that final moment of letting go of the very last knot in the rope and just falling into the darkness that has surrounded his life. It's like a revelation hits him all of a sudden because he says, look, I go forward, but he's not there. 
I'll look behind me, but I don't perceive him. And I look to the left hand. He's not there. I cannot behold him. I look to the right side and he's not over there. I cannot see him. But verse 10, he says, but he knows the way that I take. I may not be able to find him, but he knows right where I'm at. And he knows which direction I'm going. He knows what's in my path. He knows what I'm having to walk through. He says, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, how shall come forth as gold. But he knows. But he knows. I'm so thankful for those small little words sometimes in Scripture. But, but he knows. Right where you're at right now in your life, he knows. Right where you're going to walk through this week and you're going to deal with on your job, he knows. The things that are going to hit you over the next coming months of this year wraps up. God knows. God's not surprised by it. You and I might be surprised, but God's not surprised. He knows right where you are. You may not perceive him in front of you, behind you, to the left or to the right. You may not see what he's doing in your life right now. And he may not be answering in this moment. But he knows exactly where you are. Just because I go forward and he's not there doesn't mean he don't know where I'm headed. Just because I look around and I, not, I cannot perceive him, behold him, or see him does not mean that he is not there. It doesn't mean I've been forsaken or abandoned. It doesn't mean that I've been let go of. It doesn't mean that I'm out of the will of God. It doesn't mean that I've sinned and brought and separated myself from Him. That's not what it means. Sometimes it just means God knows where you're at even though you don't know where He's at. And that's comforting. If He knows where I am, then in every one of our lives there should be this hope that says, even though I'm going through this. And I don't know where he's at. I don't know what he's doing. But he knows where I am. He knows what I'm walking through. He knows what I'm going through. I can remember as why it was growing up. Sometimes we'd go shopping and different things. And, and I, I kind of would do this thing with my son where he, he was so not afraid. Like he was just not afraid of stuff. So he'd get out there and he, he'd get way ahead of us and sometimes I tell Shelly I'm like let's you know get behind this pillar in the mall real quick hide because he'd always walk way ahead and he'd look back right and say hide and I just wanted to see if he'd freak out what would happen I don't know it's the first kid thing you know we've not done that to Elsie poor kid the first kids always grow up scarred you have any first kids here I'm scarred I will not lie. <laughs> but I can remember, he, he never one time, he never, you know, freaked out. And for a little bit, it kind of, I kind of thought, you know, he should be more aware <laughs> how dangerous it is in life. And I, I kind of thought, well, why is, he not, why is he not freaking out? Why is he not getting scared? And it dawned on me one day, we built so much security around him that he never had a reason to feel like there was some fear. Now, as he's gotten older and he's realized the way of the world and how the world is, I can tell there's some things that he trouble him. 
But as a little kid, whenever he'd walk and just because mom and dad would step behind the clothes rack and, you know, we could see him. He wasn't that far away. So don't think we're, like he was out of the street and we're back over here. He never freaked out because he felt secure. Because he knew mom and dad were going to be there. Mom and dad were going to make it okay. Mom and dad were going to work it out. And just like that with God, we're his children. And so think about the comfort that should come to us in knowing that he's always right there. He knows where you are. David said it like this in Psalm 139. He said, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down. You know my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Isn't it wonderful to think and to know that God knows you and I so intimately, so well that he has searched us out, he knows us in and out, and he knows us so well, he knows our circumstance, he knows our situation, he knows where our life is at, he knows everything about you and I. Jesus said it like this, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. He knows every one of them. I might just ask him one day, how many did I lose? God knows you so well. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows the way that you're going to take. He knows how you will stand up to the test that he's put in front of you. He knows you're sitting down and he knows you're standing up. He knows when you lie down to go to bed at night. He understands your thoughts even to the deepest part of your heart. And he knows your path. He knows the words upon your lips. And here, listen and understand. This is all useless information. Useless. It doesn't mean hardly anything to us. The fact that he knows how many hairs are on your head. Think about that. That doesn't change one lick what you're going through. The fact that he knows you sit down and you stand up, that don't change nothing. The fact that he knows you so intimately, it doesn't impact anything in your life. It's useless information. And what I mean by useless information is it does not change that you're having to go through something. It's useless. It doesn't change the trial you're walking through. It doesn't affect the struggle you might find yourself in right now. It may not answer your question of why, which is often with God. Sometimes we ask why and he never answers. But it's life-altering whenever you consider the comfort in knowing that he knows you so well. He knows every hair on your head. He knows you're rising up and you're laying down. He knows you're going in and coming out. He knows the path that you're walking. He knows everything about you so well and so intimately that you should have no cause 
for fear. It's useless information. But for some reason, whenever I think about it in that frame, it starts to change the way that I see what God is doing in my life. Because I may look ahead and see what I'm going to have to walk through, but I don't see Him there. I may have just come through something and I look behind, but I can't see where He carried me through it yet. I may look on the left side, the right side. I can't see where He's working. I can't perceive what He's doing. I don't know anything about where He is at. My prayers go up and hit the ceiling and fall right back down. I can't get through to Him. I'm getting no reply on the red phone that I call God. But He knows where I am. He knows me so well. He knows what I'm going through. He knows that whenever the trial hits me, how I'm going to respond and how I'm going to react. He knows all of that so well. That's beautiful. It's beautiful to know. Music's coming. When you can't see him, and you can't get a response from your cries to him, and you're crying out, you're like... The author in Psalm 88, he never gets a reply. He never hears anything back from the Lord. He calls out three times. You know what Paul said? He said, whenever you find yourself light affliction, what? Rejoice. Rejoice. When you find yourself being tested, celebrate. And I want to talk to you and say this. God knows where you're at. That's something to celebrate. God knows where I'm at. And Job didn't just stop there. He didn't just say, but he knows where I'm at. But he goes on and he says, he knows I'm going to come out. And whenever I come out, I'm going to be like gold. Now here's the why. Why is Job so certain that he knows when he walks out of that test, even though he can't find God in the middle of it, and God will not respond to his prayer? How's he know so well that he's going to come out like gold? Verse 11, he says, My foot is held fast to his steps. I've kept his way and not turned aside. Verse 12, I've not departed from the commandment of his lips. I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. He said, I know I'm going to come through this. And I know when I get on the other side, I'm going to be like gold. Because I'm doing what I know I'm supposed to do. I'm walking in his way. I'm taking his steps. I'm valuing his word. I'm going to keep going, and I'm not going to turn aside. I'm not going to the left side, the right side. I've kept his commandments. I've kept his word. I've put it in my heart. I'm treasuring what he's given me already. And even though I'm being stripped of everything, I have nothing left, and I can't call on God and him answer, and I don't know where he's at in this situation. I'm just going to keep doing what I know I'm supposed to be doing. And when I get through it, and I will get through it, I'm going to be like gold. I'm going to serve him with my whole heart. I'm going to give him everything. So the question becomes, what should you do when you find yourself in a trial 
and it feels like the Lord is not there. He's not in the trial with you. You feel alone, you feel abandoned, you feel like everyone has given up on you and you're ready to give up yourself and it's right down to the last knot in the rope of hanging on in life and you're just struggling. It may not be the answer you want to hear, but I'm going to tell you exactly what it is. You keep going. You keep going the way that He has given you. Don't turn aside. Don't backslide. Don't step out of His will. You just keep doing what you know is right in His sight and you cling to His Word. You hide it in your heart and you hold on to everything that He had given to you spiritually before that point. You treasure it. Because even when you can't find Him, He knows where you are. He knows your way. He knows that whenever you come out, you're going to be better than when you went in. He knows. He knows the way that you take. If you'll stand with me. People in this place, you know what it is to suffer. You know what it is to struggle with affliction. And you know what it is to have those prayers that you cry late at night. And it just seems like God is not answering. What I want for you more than anything else today when you walk out of this place. Is that you walk out knowing, no, I, I may not have an answer. I may be going right back to the mess that I've been dealing with. It may not change anything. It may seem like it's useless information. It didn't have any real impact. The fact that he knows the numbers of hairs on my head and he knows the direction I'm going, that doesn't change what I have to walk through. But more than anything, what I want you to do is I want you to take and I want you to think about the fact that even when you cannot find him, he knows right where you are he knows right where you are and he told Paul whenever Paul was trying to get rid of the thorn in his flesh he said my grace sufficient I've given you what you need to walk through this that's not always the answer we want amen the answer we want is yeah okay I'll take it from God knows where you're at. He knows the way that you take. Whenever you come out, you're going to be like gold. So all that seems so useless. Lord, you know how many hairs are on my head. Whoop-de-doo. The truth of what the Lord was saying is that He knows you so intimately. He's not abandoned you. He's never left you. He's never forsaken you. For many years, I struggled with thinking about the scripture. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. And what I didn't understand in my struggle with the scripture is that it was not saying I've never seen the righteous struggle or I've never seen the righteous suffer or I've not seen the righteous have bad times. 
That's not what he was saying. He was saying, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Forsaken means God turns his back on you and he walks away. But for a long time, I'd look at people that were righteous. I'm like, God, why do they have to go through that? Or, you know, if you love them, why is that happening? Has anybody else ever thought that? Scripture doesn't say life is going to be taken away from us, that we won't have to endure the problems, the struggles, the things that come. I've never seen the righteous forsaken because God is always aware of where they're at. He knows what they're walking through. He knows what you're going through right now. He knows He, he knows the surprise that's coming this week, next week, the next month. He knows. He, he knew what you would deal with even before you started dealing with it. He knew your path before you were born. He knew it. He knew it. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence. I thank you for the spirit that I feel here right now. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would encourage, that you would uplift, Lord. 